0: Have your Bibles with you this morning. Please open them up to the Gospel of Matthew. Be reading from Matthew chapter 17, reading verses 1 through 8. I will be reading from the King James version. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, uh, talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, is it good for us to be here? If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spoke, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them, and said, Arise, and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus alone.
1: The passage just read for us in Matthew is a very telling passage. I believe it's a very telling passage because it gives us a glimpse into heaven. To understand it better, let's recall what happened in the previous chapter, chapter 16. In that chapter, Jesus told the apostles that He was on His way and that what His immediate future beheld was that He would die for the loss, Matthew sixteen twenty one. Of course, Peter, being Peter, verse twenty two, took exception to that, and he began to rebuke the Lord. And because of that attitude and his misunderstanding and and his brashness, Jesus told him that he savored the things of men instead of the things of God, verse twenty three. Then, of course, just a few minutes later, down into verse twenty seven we read about how He told the apostles that He would come to gather His faithful to Him on His second advent. And He not only said that, but He said that when He came with His angels, that He would bring a reward to every man according to His works. Now having heard all of that, we're ushered into chapter 17. After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and... John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain and was transfigured before them. Those three men were privileged to witness something, as far as I can tell, no one else in the world had ever witnessed. They saw just a little bit of what the faithful are going to see a whole lot of in the next life. And they were privileged to see an honor and witness an honor and to be a part of something that they would never forget for all of their lives. In fact, John spoke of it in his gospel account. John 1, verse 14, he said, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And he's talking about that transfiguration. Peter went on, he said, 2 Peter 1, beginning with verse 16, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. He said, We weren't fools. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. He's talking about that transfiguration. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to Him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now the first verse of chapter 17 begins with the word and, which means that it is connected at least in some way to chapter 16. Of course, it has many connections. It is connected by Jesus' appearance and how we'll see Him when uh, He returns. It is connected to the fact that He has the Father's authority and has been given judgment over the world. And the Father gave His approval in this very passage. But it is also connected to what I believe is an often overlooked statement by Peter. When we think of Peter... Or at least when I think of Peter, a lot of the time I instantly go into the mode of what has he done. What did he do in this particular case? We go to Peter almost as if to determine how not to behave a lot of the time, right? But Peter made a statement, Matthew 17 verse 4. He said, Lord, it is good for us to be here. I've titled the sermon this morning, Knowing When You Are in a Good Place. Usually, again, when we hear that, automatically I register the fact that he wanted to build three tabernacles. He wanted to build one to Moses, one to Elijah, and also one to Jesus, plainly bringing the Lord down to their level. But that's not what I want us to focus on this morning. I want us to focus on something Peter said, though he probably did not fully understand exactly what was before him and or what he saw, uh, the exact meaning of it, but he he did have enough knowledge and understanding to realize that he was, in fact, in a good place. As we travel life's pathways, we're going to find ourselves in all sorts of places. We're going to find ourselves in some very good places. We're going to find ourselves in some places that are okay, And we're going to find ourselves in some places that are definitely not okay, places that are not good, places where we don't want to be. We're going to find ourselves in the valleys of life when we're not on the hilltops. We need to be able to understand something, though, when we do that. Even if we are in the valley, it still might be a good place. Let me tell you a little story I read about a very well-known individual Upon his retirement, he was sitting on his front porch and he was looking down at the road and the mailman came and dropped off his Social Security check. He had recently retired. So he walked down to the mailbox, he got out the check, he opened it up, he was looking at it, he walked back up to the porch and he sat down and he said to himself, is this what I've got to look forward to from now on? Waiting for the next Social Security check? And so as he sat there and he became quite discouraged, I would say he probably was in a valley, he began to write down some good things in his life as opposed to some of the bad things in his life. And he began to write down all sorts of things that he knew and that he had opportunity to do and that he had abilities to do. And you know what one of the things was? And you'll recognize him just as soon as I tell you this. He knew the secret recipe that no one else knew to his mother's fried chicken. Had 11 herbs and spices. course, he went on to be Colonel Sanders. He eventually sold his business to a national franchise for millions and millions of dollars, and he remained their spokesperson in the face of the company all up until his death, and he still is spoken of today. You know, he was discouraged, but I believe he was still able to see that he was in a good place. He had opportunity, right? And I believe, like so many before us, we can see that we're in a good place, even when things may not be going necessarily as we would like. But we know we are in a good place when we see the glory of Jesus. That's our first point. As we read this account, we learn that Jesus took three of His closest friends, maybe His closest friends. They were three very special people to Him. And He took them up on that mountain. And it is very apparent to me when I read the biography of Jesus that these three were His closest friends. I think maybe John was <clears throat> his most close and precious friend in this physical life. And then you had Peter and James who made up what we might say his inner circle. Not that he loved them anymore, but he had a closer uh, uh, relationship with them. But that wasn't the only time that he selected them to come with him and be there for a special event. They were with him when... Jesus raised the daughter of Jairus mark 5:37. They were with him when he went a little further into the garden to pray mark 14:33. They were very special to him. they were special people while God is no respecter of persons, Romans 2: 11 it is true that some people want to be a little closer to God than what other people want to be. Maybe that has something to do with, the relationship that God has with people. Maybe Peter, James, and John wanted to have a little closer relationship than anyone else did. Again, that's not to say that he loves one more than the other, but perhaps people are more responsive to his love than some other people. The reality of life is that we are as close to God as we want to be, right? We can have a very close relationship with God, or we can have a very cold relationship with God. uh, James said this, James 4, 8, He said, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. But many people do not want to be close to God. They want to be a little bit further off. You know, when we look at Peter, and we're kind of talking about Peter here, in a statement he made, as Christ was being carried off into these different trials, we notice that Peter followed, but he wasn't very close. Who was very close? John. John was with him. The whole time, right up there, right? He was, he was very close to Jesus. He was at the foot of the cross. He witnessed everything that was going on. But Peter at that time didn't want a really close relationship with Jesus, did he? He wanted to back off just a little bit. He wanted to stand in the shadows. He wanted to look at the Lord, but he didn't want to be real close and have that direct connection to him. In fact, the last time that he denied the Lord, he was warming by the fires of Satan out in the, in the shadows away from Christ, and that's when he cursed, and he swore, and he said he didn't know that man. See, so he didn't want to at that time to have a very close relationship. But if we're going to see the glory of God, we have to be a special people. We have to want to have a special relationship. And if we have a special relationship, we're special people. And we can see the glory of Jesus, even when we're in the valleys of life, we can still be in a good place. If we accept His commandments, then we can see His glory. That's what Peter saw, that's what James saw, and that's what John saw. Now, we're not going to see it exactly the way they saw it. But we can realize what they saw, and we can, through the eye of faith, recognize the glory of Jesus. Now, our main objective should always be to be as close to the Lord as we can possibly be. We want to be as close, in fact, as John was at the last Passover, right? We recall that, uh, John thirteen twenty three through 26, John was leaning back. They were laying on couches. They had the table spread before them. And uh, there would be certain couches at, at different areas uh, around this center table. And they would be leaning on their left, sho- uh, left elbow and they would be eating, reaching and eating. And, and John was in front of the Lord because he leaned back onto his breast and he spoke to him. That's how close he was. And because of that great closeness, he learned some things that night that no one else learned, right? Because he wanted that close relationship. And he learned some things about Judas. And he learned some things about betrayal. And he learned some things about Christ going to be sold and and how he would be denied and betrayed. And, And he learned those things. Those aren't things that necessarily he wanted to learn, but they were things that he needed to know. And he learned those because of his close relationship. We have to choose to be special people for God. If we become special people, we'll be in a special place, won't we? We'll be in a place that no one else can be in. We'll be in a place that no one else who's not in that particular place, because they're not special people, that they can even realize what that offers and what that brings. After the transfiguration, they came down from the mountain with Jesus. Now, it appears to me that... As uh because Peter wanted to build these three tabernacles, that he wanted to remain up there for just a little while. It must have been that wonderful. But at any rate they came down and they when they came down off the mountaintop, just like any time we come off the mountaintop into the valley, they were smacked right in the face again, stood eye to eye with the realities of life. They had to worry about persecution. They had to worry about paying their taxes. They had to witness evil spirits inhabiting the bodies of men and women. They saw the the cruelties of sin and they also had to worry about the time when Christ would leave them. So they're back in the valley, but see what happens is when we're on the mountaintop, that'll carry us through the valley if we're allowed to be, if we're special people, if we're in a special place and if we're recognizing and seeing the glory of Jesus. However... We can only be in that special place if we are a special people, right? We understand how that happens. We have to repeatedly remind ourselves how we become faithful, how we become a member of uh, Christ's body, and how we maintain that. That's not something we should ever take lightly. We have to understand and be able to express to other people. Someone says, much like the Philippian jailer, Acts chapter 16, what must I do to be saved? Well, we need to be able to tell someone what they must do to be saved. We need to be able to show them evidences of that, right? We need to be able to open the Bible and show them right where the Bible says that we have to have a faith in Christ Jesus, John 8, 24. We have to be able to open the Bible and, and show them and point them to the place where it is recognized that God expects all men everywhere to repent, Acts 17, 31, to change their lives around and point it toward Him and be what He needs us to be if we're going to be a special people in a special place. We have to be able to... Uh, allow them to understand and show them in the Scripture that confession brings us unto salvation, Romans 10, 10. And then when we get into the water and we're immersed in that water, we come up to walk in a new life, Romans 6, 3 and 4, then we are baptized into Christ's body at that point, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. And we're added to the church, Acts two forty seven. It all happens at the same time. The thing that washes away our sins is exactly the thing that adds us to the body. It's the thing that saves us, uh, 1 Peter 3.21. But we have to live a faithful life. See, we see the example of Peter here, and we're talking about Peter. And Peter wasn't always what he needed to be, you know, but I can't say a whole lot about Peter because I'm not always what I need to be. But I recognize, much like Peter did, that when I make mistakes in this life, I have to repent of those things, and I have to turn my life around. I have to confess those faults and ask God to forgive me. And God is, has uh, taken measures to allow that to happen. If we'll confess our faults one to another, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our faults. And then we live that faithful life, Matthew 10, looking for eternity, where we can see with our very eyes, no longer the eye of faith, personally, the glory of Jesus, and realize that we are in a good place. But we're also in a good place if where we are exalts Jesus' greatness. That's our second point. We learn at the time of the transfiguration, Jesus was visited by two heavenly visitors. Two great men. Two great men of the Old Testament. We had the lawgiver Moses and the prophet Elijah. Wonderful representations of the law and the prophets. in that one aspect alone, ought to tell us something, shouldn't it, about the greatness and the glory of heaven. Moses had been dead for 1,500 years up to this point. Elijah had been dead for almost 900 years up to this point. Yet, here they were, communing with Jesus, encouraging Jesus, giving Him uh, encouragement and demonstrating love for Him because they understood what He was about to go through. See, we're going to... Know each other in heaven, aren't we? That's one aspect of this that we recognize. Our spirit lives forever. This body will die, but we'll go on to the next life, and we'll recognize one another. Jesus never lived during the time of Moses or <clears throat> excuse me, or Elijah, but He recognized them as who they were. He knew them. Uh, Peter and James and John recognized who they were. They realized their personalities and who they were. They may not have been able to have identified them personally, but through the conversation, they picked up on, we're talking to Moses and Elijah. Can you imagine how wonderful that must have been? Well, we see how Peter thought about it, right? Though misguided in his thoughts. But have you ever wondered why those two great men of God were on the mountain with Jesus? Well, Luke tells us. Luke tells us They were discussing with him about his decease. Decease means exodus. They were talking about his exodus from the physical life into the spiritual life. He was going to die. He was going to be murdered, and that was the topic of conversation in life. Both those men pointed toward Jesus, didn't they? In life, both those men pointed towards something that was greater, and now here they are on that mountaintop with him, and he is about to accomplish everything they had talked about for so long. Moses recorded God's prophecy to Israel, Deuteronomy eighteen eighteen. He said, I will raise him up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And now we have Moses standing face to face, with that man that he was speaking about. Isn't that wonderful? Those two visitors were there to exalt his greatness. They were there to comfort him as he gave the world the greatest gift that it ever knew. We have two visitors exalting his greatness, but we have something else. We have a voice from heaven who exalted the greatness of of this man Jesus. As Peter was suggesting the three tabernacles, before he could even finish the words out of his mouth to build and honor a tabernacle, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus, there came this voice from heaven, and it said, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. Matthew 17, verse 5. Now it's apparent Peter was placing Moses and Elijah on the same plane as Jesus, and God was having none of it. Were those two visitors wonderful? Were they great men? Were they, were they soldiers of, uh, for God? Would they have given their lives? Uh, absolutely. In fact, Elijah was translated into heaven, right? He didn't even suffer a death like normal people. He and Enoch were, were translated into the heavenly realm, away from this life. Moses died looking over into the promised land and God buried him on a mountaintop somewhere. Yes, they were great men, but they weren't Christ. They didn't give themselves for any of us. It's just like 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and Paul talking about the denominations that were happening within the church there. Some call themselves after Paul and Apollos and Cephas. and Some will even call themselves after Christ. But he said, was Paul ba- uh, uh, sacrificed for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Well, of course not. See, we have to honor the, the greatness Of Jesus, And when we do that, we're in a good place. Was Paul always in a good place? He was always in a good place, whether physically he was in the valley or not, because he recognized the greatness of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews reminded the Jewish Christians, Hebrews 1 beginning with 1, he said, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken to us by His Son. "...whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory, and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high." Was the law and the prophets great? Absolutely they were great. But Christ is the only one who is worthy of our honor, Worthy of our praise and worthy of our worship. He is great. That's why it is important to assemble with the saints, right? Sometimes we're in the valleys of life, but we can still be in a great place. We have to interact with the world on different levels as we go throughout our days. But then we have an opportunity to come together and and encourage each other. Jesus needed encouragement up on that mountain. Why Why would I believe I don't? He's the greatest person who ever lived. We need to be able to come together with those of like, precious faith, 2 Peter 1.1. And we do it not because it's a burden, but because that's what we need. And that's what we want to do. We do it because that's something that we need to do. The heavenly visitors and the voice of heaven recognized the greatness of Jesus. And that's why it was a good place. I, I agree with Peter. It was a good place because he saw the glory of Jesus. He recognized the greatness. But finally we know that we're in a good place. And Peter knew when he was in a good place. When we can experience the grace of Jesus. That's our third point. As the voice spoke. Peter, James and John fell down to the ground. Can you imagine hearing that voice coming out of heaven? That heavenly voice talking about the greatness of His Son, God the Father, speaking to those people. In our Revelation class this morning, we talked about the voice of heaven coming out, and it it was as if it was mighty running waters. It was as if it was a clap of thunder. It was as if it was a melodic tone made on the harps. It's melodic, it's powerful, and it's loud. No wonder they fell down on their faces. I don't read about a time in the Scriptures when God... Presence came into someone, and they didn't bow their heads down and fall to the ground. As was his custom, though, after those men had fallen to the ground, Jesus walked over, uh, Matthew 17, verse 7, and he extended the hand of grace and peace, didn't he? He extended the hand of peace. It's a wonderful thing when, when we can experience the grace of Jesus, and with that comes the peace that Paul said passeth. The understanding of the world, right? People in the world can't understand, how can you be in a good place if you're having family problems? How can you be in a good place if you're having financial difficulties? How can you be in a good place if your health isn't exactly what it needs to be? Well, if you've never experienced any of those, you're not alive in this world, but we can still be in a good place. If we can experience the grace of Jesus, we can we can know we're in a good place and we can feel the Master's touch. That's what those men did, right? They were laying down on their face. They were scared to death. And He came over and He touched their hands. When we hide the Word of God in our hearts, Psalm one nineteen eleven, we are being touched by Jesus. When we are cared for by those who love us, by those who are brothers, uh, our brothers and our sisters, we are feeling the touch of Jesus. That's how it happens today, isn't it? When we're discouraged, and those who we love come and comfort us. We're We are feeling the touch and the peace and the grace of Jesus. Jesus felt the grace of God up on that mountain when He came and He was being comforted by Moses and Elijah. You know, Satan has a great arsenal at his disposal and he can never be successful, though, unless we allow it. There's a tale told about the devil putting his tools on sale and on the day of the sale, the tools were being... Place for public inspection, and people were coming through, and they were looking at the tools that Satan used in his work. And there were a whole lot of those tools, and they were treacherous, and they were implements of doom. And and on the table, people saw hatred, and envy, and jealous, and uh, jealousy, and doubt, lying, and pride, and, and so on and so forth. But there was this one tool laid off over to the side, and this individual came through, and he asked about that tool, and he said, "Why is it off over here to the side? Why is it so expensive?" And it's nearly worn out anyway. Why why is the the price tag on that one more so than others? And Satan said, well, that's that's my greatest tool. That's a tool of discouragement. And it's so so helpful to me because most people don't even know it's my tool. They don't even know I use that. But it didn't sell because of its price. But it is useful, isn't it? Satan said, I can take discouragement and I can cause someone to do just about anything I want them to do if they're not being careful. You see, Jesus was up on that mountain and He was facing discouragement as a man. 100% man, 100% God. He suffered everything we suffered and discouragement was a part of that. Do you know that He was discouraged when He was standing on that mountain? Well, of course He was. He was about to be murdered for the world. When we're in a place where we have the peace of His grace, it's a good place because we can fight off discouragement. Not only were the disciples in the peace of His grace, they were in the presence of His grace as well, weren't they? Well, the grace of Jesus. When they looked up and and the only person they saw was Jesus, no longer was Moses standing there, no longer was Elijah in, in their presence. They at least on some level at that time understood that Jesus was the source of their salvation. It wasn't Moses, it wasn't Elijah. Did they... Did they point to the Lord? Did they help usher in the grace that Jesus could offer to the world and the grace that God offers, of course? But at that time, He had to have been even more precious to them than He had been before. They understood that. When we're on the highs of the mountaintops, and as we endure the valleys of of whatever disappointment comes our way, there's one thing on which we can always count. Regardless of what happens in our lives, Christ will never leave us nor forsake us. Hebrews 13, 5. We can always be in the presence of His grace if we allow it. If we want to have a close relationship with Jesus, we can. If we want to back off and we want to allow that our love for Christ to, to cool, we can do that as well. But if we live for Him, He will always be by our side. And that's what He told the disciples before He ascended back to heaven, wasn't it? He was comforting them. He said unto them, Matthew 28, verse 20, And, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, He was going back to His heavenly abode, but He said, I'll always be with you. How is He doing that today? He left His Word and His instruction with them. It has been left for us today. We can add it to our hearts. You know, when Jesus, or excuse me, when Paul was enduring some of the saddest times of his life, he said this, 2 Timothy 4 beginning with verse 16 He said, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. How was that? You remember when Paul sent Timothy his letter and he said, come to me quickly bring my coat, it's getting cold here, but bring the the writings, bring the parchments. He wanted the Word of God to be brought so he could go through that and he could continue to add that to his life and he could continue to be encouraged. He was going off to to give his life for Christ. But he was in a good place because he was in the presence of Jesus' grace. The blood friends of Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they were loved. Peter was loved. But he missed a few things along the way, didn't he? He missed a few things along the way, but, but he got one thing right for sure up on that mountain. It's Good to be here. It's good to be here. The question we need to answer today is, are we in a good place? Knowing when you're in a good place, do I realize that? Can I see the glory of Jesus from where I am? Do I exalt His greatness? Am I in the presence of His grace? Am I enjoying that? If we've not dedicated our lives to him in obedience, we're we're not honoring his glory or his greatness or or accepting his grace. We have to we have to give ourselves to him in the way he says to give ourselves to him. Perhaps we left a good place with Jesus. Maybe we were in a good place at one time and maybe we left that place. Judas left that place and the sad thing about what Judas did was he never regained his place. Peter left the place, the presence of Jesus, didn't he? But he repented of that. He came back, he died a, a soldier for, for the cross. Faithful man for our Lord. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation this morning, if you're not in a good place because you haven't obeyed the gospel, do that today before we leave. If you have, yet you've become unfaithful and you're not in the good place today, know whether you're in a good place or not, and let that be known as we stand and as we sing.